Hello and welcome to uh, Blockchain Gaming World, episode 66. I'm your host, John Jordan. And uh, with me this week, we have uh, David Packman, who is from uh, Venture, no, sorry, Ben Rock, which is the Rockefeller Venture arm. So it's the first time we've had a a proper investor on, David. So so great you could uh, come on and uh, enlighten us. <laughs> Thank you, John. I'm happy to carry the flag for investors. Good. And um, also interesting that... Uh, I, I have seen you speak, and I don't know if you saw me speak, but we we kind of kind of met in in terms of being in the same room at the uh, the recent uh, NFT uh, NYC conference, um, and it was interesting that that uh, I, I got some kind of questions arising from from your talk. Um, so that's a, would be a good starting point, but we can obviously go go broader into uh, what's been going on and, and how a kind of investor uh, looks at the kind of blockchain space um, through those um, very specific kind of viewpoint that you have. But um, always good to kind of get a background to to, to the guests. So do you want to give us a potted history um, about what you've been up to and how you got into venture and then how you kind of got into kind of blockchain crypto? Yes, sure. So uh, I'm a computer science engineer uh, by by training and worked at Apple after college uh, as a product manager on the software side, uh, and then eventually started the music group at Apple, which was a combination of the passion that I had plus a opportunity I saw in the market. Um, that uh, group has obviously gone on to do amazing things long after I was there. Um, but I, I sent, then spent um, the next 15 years or so as an entrepreneur starting uh, companies focused on the intersection of digital entertainment and technology. Some of those were successful and some less so. And uh, after 15 years as an entrepreneur and founder, I uh, became a venture investor about 11 years ago at Benrock. I focus on early stage tech companies in a bunch of different categories. We do AI and enterprise software. I focus on robotics and automation. Uh, developer tools and um, and uh, consumer services and consumer products. I was an early investor in Nest and Dollar Shave Club and crypto. Um, and in crypto, we focused on a couple different areas. We've looked at uh, blockchain gaming, which we'll talk about a bunch today. We've looked at Web3 infrastructure and have made a few investments there. And on um, uh, decentralized uh, sort of media services or ways to offer a higher level services in the stack above the sort of layer one smart contract platforms. Good. So that, that that's pretty much a, a history of uh, <laughs> of covering loads of different things. Um, so, so you've definitely see, probably seen it all, I guess. And I guess as a, as a VC, you now get to see uh, pretty much everything. Everyone's kind of interested in, in your view on, on the company. Um, specifically around the blockchain kind of crypto side, how did, how did that work for, uh, kind of for you? How did you specifically get interested in that? Because... I guess lots of lots of us kind of get interested in it from a kind of a just personal kind of kind of point of view, but um, as I say, kind of I think people in the venture world look, look at things from a slightly different angle from the rest of us, and, and maybe some of the things we find interesting are not so interesting for you, and some other things that we don't find interesting is you know as, as an early stage um, investor um, really kind of stand out. Yeah, sure, sure. Well, um, I think my story is pretty similar to others. Um, you know, I read about Bitcoin early on. And when it was possible to do Bitcoin mining uh, using a computer, you know, uh, long before you needed specialized ASICs, I, you know, launched Bitcoin D and started doing some personal mining. Uh, this is, you know, you know, I don't know, maybe 2010 or so. And then uh, in 2014, uh, we, did, we, we didn't make any investments, by the way, as a firm. 2014, um, I read the, uh, I mean, I started tracking it more closely. 
And then when the Ethereum white paper came out, one of our vice presidents at the time said, look, you really should read this. And um, I read that. And that's when I sort of had the moment of, so wait a second, this is much more than, you know, a mechanism for evading, uh, you know, for, for, for doing money transfers in a way that is harder to track. Uh, this is much more interesting than, than I suspected. And that's when we started seeing some parallels to, wait a second, maybe this is a different way to build applications that has a very different um, set of priorities and some advantages and some disadvantages. So we should track this and be more purposeful about it. And I think what really got us excited, of course, was the amount of developer activity who, you know, developers are really the tip of the spear for new markets and technology. Uh, and you, ha- as a venture investor, you have to follow them. You know, they're the ones who create the companies. So, you know, the amount of developer activity was pretty high and still remains, you know, maybe less so than at the peak in 2017, but is, but is certainly still prominent and, and interesting. So um, we tried to develop a thesis about what was going to be interesting. Now, I, I don't have a, a Wall Street background at all. I, I didn't even go to business school. Like, I don't understand macroeconomics and uh, I don't understand the way Wall Street trading works. Uh, and, and I don't have a lot of... Um, innate understanding of the sort of trading stack and the tools used for buying and selling equities or cryptocurrencies or exchanges and that like. And and so I think because of that, we missed out on really the first wave of the most useful applications, which is the sort of crypto trading infrastructure, right? Custody to exchanges, wallets, and that to us was foreign because we didn't have anyone focused on that. I think that was a missed opportunity for us. But to avoid the mistakes of that era, we've been purposely focused on maybe what comes after that, which are, you know, what are other use cases for decentralized technology and, um, you know, beyond uh, just the trading infrastructure um, and the stack supporting, you know, kind of buying and selling and the derivatives of cryptocurrencies. And that's where we've been focused mostly. Mm. Because that kind of that's, that uh, kind of uh, timeline is actually interesting. Because not that I have much interest, uh, much interest, much um, uh, I don't have much contact with with kind of venture people. But the ones that I do, or when I'm looking from the outside in, it, it, it looks like the whole to begin with the whole crypto thing, as, as you explained, it was was seen as like very dodgy, and that was just the general kind of view. And it was a lot of it's kind of open source. I guess it's hard often for, for, for kind of VCs to to look at how open source kind of companies work. That, that that's an added kind of comp- complication um but was it something that that as a company um that kind of everyone agreed this was something we you, you guys had to go into um or you know was there looking at your kind of more traditional um kind of investments in in, in kind of tech and, and and healthcare and that, that sort of thing was it did it, was it seem that crypto kind of fitted into that in a in a um in a natural way and there also are kind of i guess legal ramifications about some of these things as well yeah it's a fair question um we have a we have a belief that um, the best investments are non-consensus investments. So we don't we have not built Venrock as a firm that tries to seek consensus decisions on which companies to invest in. So you kind of want to have one or two investing partners saying, "Look, this thing over here is really interesting," and you want a bunch of others saying, "I'm confused by that. That doesn't make sense. I don't understand it. What are you talking about?" Um, so often that's a signal. Um, it's not something you want to stamp out. And crypto absolutely meets that 
uh, criteria, right? Still to this day, there's controversy around it. You have large numbers of people who, who either disprove of it or disagree that it's interesting or that it'll be mainstream. Um, you know, it still is tainted with a little bit of, uh, you know, it's for money launderers and drug dealers. Um, and so I, a lot of times as a venture investor, the more experience you get, you, you look for things like this. You look for technologies or products that are misunderstood where the mainstream doesn't really get it. You know, Twitter and Instagram and early social media was like, I don't understand what people are taking pictures of their lunch. You know, what is this? This is so dumb. That's like a moment where you want to double down. Um, and so I think crypto has gone through that for quite some time. And, um, you know, especially with the traditional, uh, you know, sort of finance industry, right, who has said it's bogus for so long and it's nothing and it's tulips and all these things. So usually that's signal. And um, we look for that signal. So I think the firm has been very welcoming um, to, to me and to any investor who wants to do stuff that's non-traditional. The thing is, you just have to be right at some point, right? You can be not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, right. So, um, and there have been, I think, very few um, uh, sort of venture success stories in crypto. There are a few for sure, Coinbase and and you know, maybe and, and, and others like that. But um, there have been others that are just still potential, filled with potential, but have not you know, have not reached liquidity or have not provided great returns for their investors yet. So it's still an area where it remains to be seen. And as investors, we have to prove ourselves. And Venrock is a place that welcomes that. Um, but I think you're right. There's still a lot of questions here. Good. So um, getting a bit more into the kind of the, the focus of what we should be talking about, <laughs> which is about blockchain games. Uh, there was one really good slide uh, that you had from your talk Um uh, and uh, it kind of it kind of broke down um, seven different steps that you felt had to be uh, kind of accomplished before uh, blockchain gaming or NFT ownership or more broadly kind of I guess blockchain consumer facing kind of applications went went mainstream because obviously I guess that's what everyone in the, in in the space is kind of <laughs> waiting to, for some sort of um, kind of kind of take off of that and I'll just kind of read through them we can kind of um, discuss it from there so so the first thing is is scalable blockchains. Um, uh, second one is user-friendly purchasing and trading. Uh, third one is uh, low-stroke uh, predictable transaction costs. Uh, fourth is ways to show off uh, assets, NFTs. Five is distribution. Six is app store uh, acceptance, and seven is developer adoption. So that's that's a pretty, you know, um, comprehensive list. <laughs> Um, and in your view, we're not anywhere close to kind of ticking most of these things off. Yeah, I think that this is something I actually, this was a slide that I put up originally at uh, NFT MIC 2019. And at 2020, I reviewed and said, you know, what kind of progress have we made? Um, so one, I wouldn't um, adjust this list. I think this is still, you know, the right list of things that we'll need for mainstream acceptance or success of NFTs. Like, I, I still think the notion of NFTs and crypto gaming is unbelievably exciting, has some really promising economics to it, a lot of potential, massive um, application in a lot of different product categories. Uh, but it's just not anywhere near mainstream. The numbers are, as you know, because you track it, you know, puny. <laughs> We're talking about thousands of people involved in this, right? Not not even tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands, really. So we have a long way to go. The question is why? And um, first, I'll say one thing I, I mentioned at my talk, which I think is a good framing for this. The um, Pew uh, Charitable Trust did a uh, 
survey on why is Netflix so um, successful? What, what, I asked like more than 10,000 people, why do you love Netflix? And um, the number one reason was there are no commercials. Number, number two reason was um, I can watch whatever I want to watch when I want to watch. So like no appointment viewing. Number three was I can binge watch. So when I get hooked on something, I don't have to wait a week, you know, for it to be, you know, for the next episode to be released. And number four was I like the shows. So if you think about that, the first three are really just better versions of TV, right? It removes all the objections to traditional TV. The fourth one is content specific. And that's an incredible reminder to entrepreneurs that uh, to win over customers, you want to do something better than the previous alternative, right? Um, you want to find reasons to make it better. And one of my arguments about crypto gaming is that uh, thus far, it's not easier or better than the alternative. It's much harder and slower and more cumbersome. So we have more work to do. And that breaks down to a couple things. You know, we need scalable blockchains um, that can uh, achieve widespread consumer adoption and won't break the way, you know, CryptoKitties broke Ethereum. And we don't have that yet. We have a bunch of candidates. We have a few that are claiming that they'll be able to offer this. Some of them are just um, reaching uh, testnet or, uh, and you might argue ones in mainnet, but we're not there yet. At least no one's demonstrated that that's successful. You need user-friendly purchasing wallets and trading. And I don't think we have, we have that yet. Um, I think, you know, some of the centralized exchanges that offer centralized wallets uh, are getting much easier to operate and onboard and you can use credit cards. And so we're, we're getting there, but not quite there yet. You need low and predictable transaction costs. That's kind of goes with number one, but um, you know, you can't, you can't expose users to these weird concepts like gas and you know, that that's not going to work. Um, you need ways to show them off, right? Like um, these are collectible. In many, many cases, they're collectibles. So you want to be able to share them on social networks and show them to people in person. And I have not seen really great implementations of that yet. Um, distribution. Um, so, you know, you, you can't be the only, it can't be like, hey, come to my website and uh, participate here. There has to be a distribution infrastructure. Uh, and I've not seen a lot of that. These apps are going to need to be achieving app store acceptance. Uh, you know, Apple is still essentially anti-crypto in their app store distribution policies today and do not want uh, all the different levels of integration of NFTs or uh, crypto token uh, integration into apps. And then you need lots of devs, developer adoption. Now, the only one I think we have is, main, is a lot of developer adoption. A lot of people working on this, a lot of people attending conferences, a lot of interesting games coming to market. But I think we have more to go to to you know tip over into mainstream use. Mm-hmm. No, I, I entirely agree. It is that whole whole thing that those of us in the space are so excited about it all the time that take the step back and go, well, if we think it's so brilliant, <laughs> why can we all fit in one room? <laughs> Delegate, till everyone is so brilliant. Um, so the the one the one kind of. Uh, investment in in the space that, that you've done and, and it'd be good to kind of uh, go into a bit more depth on that is is you've invested in da- in dapper lab so the company behind uh crypto kit is um obviously moved on uh, i guess since that kind of 2017 um kind of surprise hit i suppose um for us all um but c- can you talk a little bit about kind of why what attracted you about about what they were doing because it's not just they had crypto kitties and, and thus were successful there's quite a lot going on um not so much behind the scenes now a bit more open but but they they're a bit more than just making dApps. 
Yeah, so they um, we did we didn't invest because we thought CryptoKitties would be the next great thing. You know, I think in in Dapper's uh, telling of the story, it was really an experiment, and uh, it revealed some interesting things to them. Uh, there was uh, lots of consumer interest. Now, you might say, well, not really mainstream consumer interest, but crypto consumer interest. That is, you know, people who already had Ethereum or Bitcoin were excited about NFTs. Um, but they've done a lot of testing, uh, and CryptoKitties also seem to have onboard, at least attracted a bunch of non-crypto users to it in the early days. Um, it was hard to onboard non-crypto users. This goes to my you know, list that we just went through. But still, there was interest in it. Um, and they also revealed that um, you can get developer interest when you have consumer interest, right? So like they're, the idea that... Um, you know, NFTs can have an ecosystem of developers that build other games or experiences around them that you can take your assets into. Uh, they call it the Kittyverse. You know, there were a bunch of other developers who made experiences around it. So um, they also would point to the business model of uh, the, in, in this case, this particular game requires consumer buy-in. Uh, so you have a 100% uh, monetization rate of all players, which is very different than free-to-play gaming. It's very appealing to gamers, to game designers and and uh, and game studios. So they they sort of learned a lot and said, "But this would be great. Let's try to let's try to not just be a studio. Let's partner with mainstream IP. Try to uh, create mass market crypto games." And uh, they started down that path. But the the um, CryptoKitties experiment proved that they needed to do a lot more work. They needed to do work at the onboarding level, and they needed to do work at the layer one smart contracts platform level to, to allow for some scaling. So as they've announced next month, they will release Flow, which is their fully scalable layer one smart contracts platform. It's a blockchain that can allow for millions of consumer transactions. It doesn't um, use sharding as a mechanism for achieving this, which is critical because if you're hoping that user A can interact with and play a game with user B, can't have them on different shards or it won't solve the problem of uh, you know low latency transactions. So they have a solution they think that will rapidly scale and support a mainstream consumer hit. And they have really great partnerships with some mainstream consumer IP. They've announced the one with the MBA and uh, they will be bringing uh, Top Shot, which is uh, going to be an MBA partnership uh, crypto title, uh, crypto game with a bunch of crypto collectibles and a game experience built into it. That's also coming out very soon. So uh, their experiment, these are these will not be experiments. These are meant to be successful. And uh, obviously we'll see how well that does. It'll take some time uh, over a few months to ramp up, but we're pretty excited by it. And if it proves true, I think um, obviously it could be a good investment, but it can lead to many more partnerships and titles that can follow the model. Mm-hmm. How, how many of, of our kind of seven kind of pinch points do you think flow um, kind of kind of solves? I guess kind of scalable blockchains and, and, and kind of onboarding, uh, I guess, no transaction costs. So, so you know, start, starting, to get, starting to get a few of those things ticked off, you hope, over the coming months. I think the first three things will be elegantly solved by Dapper Labs. Um, uh, and may, maybe ways to show them off. We'll see how that, that, I think that they'll have the possibility of doing that. Well, so we'll see distribution. You know, we have, they have a partnership, they've got partnerships to help with that, but, you know, I think we have still some work to do there. And app store acceptance, you know, this is a, an Apple policy. Uh, you're much more welcoming um, B2 
behavior in the Android app ecosystem, but we'll see if Apple comes around. Um, so, I mean, sort of, I would say work in progress. Mm-hmm. I have to say it is interesting because when Flow was announced, I was just like, oh no, just what we needed, an- another blockchain. <laughs> um, and, and, and I guess um, t- to some degree, you know, maybe we'll look back and, and kind of laugh at the, the fact that we're trying to kind of people were trying to scale Ethereum <laughs> to, to do more more than they could. But but it is kind of weird that for the last two years, I guess we've had Ethereum as Ethereum has had has been what we've had. Basically, um, there's been attempts with like Tron and EOS to do something better, haven't worked. We've got a few other things, you know, generalized blockchains, Cardano and and, and things like that, kind of coming in as well. Um, and it seems seems like for, actually for the next few years we might be in this kind of transitional thing about the next generation of blockchains kind of kind of dis- disrupting everything and, and de- developers having to deal with that um, kind of uh, kind of confusion again, which, which may be what we, what we need to ha- happen to get mainstream adoption, but there could be kind of more, more um, trying times to come for developers at least. Yeah. I think this is a, it's interesting to see this much infrastructure activity over the last several years, right? The majority of the developer effort, over the last several years, has been on infrastructure layers. So Ethereum and uh, and other layer one smart contract platforms, wallets, uh, obviously the trading infrastructure and exchanges, some stuff in the decentralized development stack. So I would put our investment in three box in that bucket, um, developer tools like Truffle. Uh, so there, there, there's been, most of the activity has been in infrastructure and the stack. There, There is dap activity and you track it in the gaming space um there have been different dApps, and there's a whole bunch of activity in the DeFi space i would classify a bunch of those as dApps. Um, so we're we're getting more and more dap level activity but many of the dap level developers said i'm just going to wait for more mature infrastructure so now we have a lot of infrastructure coming to market we need those those infrastructure suppliers need as you point out developers to adopt them and those developers to have some success. Otherwise, you've got really cool smart contract platforms with no activity on them. Um, and so I think we're, we're entering that phase now where we're in the waiting phase to see what dApps can get traction. And, and remember my point earlier, I think the, the dApps have to do something that's better or different or an improvement over the way life was in the centralized web without centralization. Now, you, you could argue in the case of DeFi, well, good luck finding a, you know, a 7% interest rate anywhere. Uh, uh, you can get that through Compound. Um, but, but there must be some other reasons why consumers are not willing to do that because there would be trillions of dollars there if consumers believe that they had a you know, very low risk way of getting 7% on their money. So we're not, we haven't fully cracked it. With, with your kind of kind of VC hat on, and I guess you, you see a lot of kind of business models and particularly because you're, you're looking at the early stage, are you, are you seeing a, um, you know, a, a change in the kind of stuff that's being pitched to you? Did you think now that, that people are, people are setting up companies that, that are looking to do this consumer thing and, and, and assuming these, these kind of infrastructure problems are going to be solved over the next kind of year or so. And so they can kind of start to pitch these kind of um, consumer facing products in a way that you haven't seen before or is it still very uh kind of kind of mixed because what i've seen certainly on the gaming side is generally most of the people making blockchain games or, or blockchain dApps are are pretty inexperienced crypto enthusiasts definitely um but not very experienced about product and 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 running teams for for, for years to kind of come up with a product and then operating a product um i kind of wonder if 
with, with you know you kind of see, see more established teams who are kind of keeping quiet about what they're doing um any any anything you can say about that well i think i would kind of categorize it the way you have um i've seen some interesting ideas um but i haven't seen any mainstream success right nothing's taken off um so I'm with you. I'm watching and waiting. I, you know, read with, uh, you know, close, I pay close attention to blockchain gamer and other sites tracking the activity in these spaces. Uh, and, you know, a lot of the data can be public thanks to the public nature of blockchains. So we're, we're hopeful, you know, the, the whole pandemic allows, uh, for perhaps for some new applications different than the ones we imagined to be built on top of blockchains. Um, I don't know enough about it, but I have read a little bit that um, a number of prominent thinkers and architects in the space have talked about the use of blockchains for uh, contact tracing and location awareness, right? Because of their open and uncorruptible nature, um, their transparency, their sort of non-proprietariness seems to be well-suited maybe to, you know, massive global databases tracking people's location. You certainly don't want uh, a government or a company owning that, at least not in democracies. So I don't know, but I think there are, I'm, I'm, what I'm really trying to pay attention to is, are there some new reasons for dApps or decentralized applications to exist in the time of the pandemic? It's kind of interesting with your list, kind of going back to that. And you kind of do mention it a little bit, kind of user, user-friendly user purchasing and trading. For me, the kind of, the thing that's always been most interesting on, on certainly on the blockchain game side of things, is people owning owning their own assets and being able to kind of do what they want with them. Um, um, and that, I, I kind of wonder um, if uh, that is, maybe I've over kind of emphasized in my own head that that's a very... Um, powerful thing that you can't do with games at the moment um so that would kind of kind of come into the better than the alternative i suppose to some degree because it's so different from the from the alternative i kind of wonder actually in for most gamers if they actually realize that they don't own their things <laughs> so um and i kind of sometimes i kind of think that's the because it's not really a, a technical solution it's, it's not really a user experience solution it's more i don't know kind of seems more fundamental thing that people don't know they have haven't got at the moment um and i kind of, kind of wonder if that kind of player-led economy thing is, is if that's something um, certainly from from a investor point of view, where you're investing in something that's going to kind of really change your business model, if that's something that, that you look at in particular, or, or something that kind of interests you. Yeah, I, I, I follow the questions you're asking. They're, they're really good questions. You know, when you ask, when you tell people, um, you know, that their their Fortnite items are not transferable outside of the Fortnite ecosystem. The only way to sell your Fortnite items is to sell your account. Uh, you know, Epic doesn't make this easy. You'll get nods from, you know, the legions of teenage boys playing the game. Um, but they're cer- it's certainly not causing them not to play. Yeah, and, and I guess to some degree, they are, they are actually selling them just to just delete. They, so, so they kind of solved the problem, just just not, uh, not in a proper manner. Yeah, or inelegantly, right? There's, it's not a good solution. However, I, um, you know, if you, you look at like sneaker trading was always something that was happening, but um, it's really because of the trusted marketplaces like GOAT and maybe StockX, you know, that, that you saw 
rise in maybe you would call it sneaker entrepreneurship, right? Where these sort of lot of kids can can conduct micro business outside of just their local area, and uh, and so I think the same thing can happen with crypto collectibles. And you do a lot of hard work in gaming to advance the, your you know, to collect items or advance your character, and um, once those are all saleable on and on open exchanges, you could actually be an entrepreneur, a gaming entrepreneur, right? Playing and monetizing yourself by selling these items at higher prices. That that's going to happen. I'm convinced of that. There's there's just too much pent up energy in that, and it's again it's consistent with with existing behavior. Just scales it and makes it more digital. So that's going to happen. You just need the combination of all the things we talk about here. Plus, uh, you know, a great title that uh, people are dying to play. So I feel like this is highly likely. I just can't say when or you know which which title or game it'll be that is the hit. Mm-hmm. I guess that's always the, the the kind of thing. So so my uh, it's becoming a bit of a cliche now. The thing I always say is I I can't see in ten years time how how this kind of couldn't have happened. You know how the kind of the the, the advantages that you can have employing a blockchain in, in a gaming um, ecosystem. How the how these things couldn't couldn't have happened, but I can't see kind of when they're going to happen. I can't say they're going to happen in the next year or so because there's, as you pointed out, these kind of these kind of key obstacles. Um, these some of them technical, some of them are, are user experience. Um, but 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 the the trend seems seems like it it, it would be impossible that it couldn't happen. Obviously, it's not impossible, <laughs> but um, very difficult that it couldn't happen. Yes, I, I agree. I mean, well, the problem is that if enough people believe something's inevitable, then it probably isn't, right? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> right. Conventional wisdom is often wrong, at least in the medium to long term. We're usually right in the short term because it's a little bit easier to predict like what's going to happen tomorrow if it's just the, you know more of the same. But um, we'll see. I mean, I'm with, I'm with you. I agree it's inevitable and it's going to happen, but that doesn't mean it will. Um, just because we all say it's inevitable doesn't mean it will. But it, it does feel like, again, I look at the ingredients. We have developers who, who agree with us, right, who say, I want to make games that have amazing experiences that allow you to own the items that you buy or earn and who can take them off the platform and go trade them elsewhere. Um, I believe that enhances the game. So you've got a lot of people agreeing with that. And um, you got a lot of, we think there's a lot of consumers who will agree with that. Because why not? That's like, yes, and you still get a great game. You still get to earn or buy your items and you can trade them elsewhere. So you've got more possibilities to monetize or have fun or do whatever you want to do. So I feel like it has the ingredients of success, but we, we need to see that happen. Mm, absolutely. Well, maybe that'll be an, another podcast in a year's time when we when we, we come back and revisit your, <laughs> your, your now famous list of seven <laughs> Yes, and I hope, uh, first of all, well, I, I rather hope that all that matters is that things start taking off, whether it's because of my list or not, right? I just want to see the, we've all been speculating about this for some time, and it'd be nice to be right. Mm. No, I think it's, it's good It's good to have a, a slightly more formalized kind of, you know, not all of these seven steps necessarily need to happen, but obviously, uh, I guess some of them need to happen before App Store acceptance happens. That's a kind of a pressure a pressure forcing the, the kind of the uh, the platform holders to go, well, this is this is happening now. We better kind of join the bandwagon. That would be... Yeah, and you know, if you look at the previous transitions in platform technology, like the shift from console gaming to web or the shift from web to mobile, uh, those are were often all, always led by new developers, right? People who built for the new format, for the new platform, 
who figured out the right sacrifices. I mean, gosh, remember the first time we thought about gaming on a mobile device, we were like, but the screen is so small. <laughs> right? Yeah, well, that didn't hold back at adoption, right? Uh, you just needed to format, the, you know, build the right IP for it. So great gaming experiences. So I think similarly, um, we we need the best developers who are likely the newer ones and not, I don't, by new, I don't mean people with no experience, but a new companies formed purposely to build for this new platform, as opposed to wait from, you know, from the traditional console games uh, to AAA games to launch here. However, I would say that I'm enthused by the mainstream IP holders who have said, you know, to companies like Dapper and others, hey, we want to experiment. We, we want to really um, be a part of this wave and we want to do it early. And that's pretty exciting. Good. It's good to end on a positive note. Thank you so much for your time, David. John, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Good. And uh, thanks, uh, listeners, for, for listening. Um, if you have any comments, you can find me on Twitter at uh, BlockchainGMG. And obviously, don't forget to subscribe through your favorite podcast provider. Um, we'll be back uh, next week, finding out what's going on in the uh, ever-exciting world of blockchain games. But thanks for listening, and hope to see you again soon.